you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. What is possible if you shut off the television? Can you really do anything you want if you set your mind to it? And how hard is it to learn to fly over 80 kinds of planes? Join us today as we rocket into a conversation about goals, dreams, and the grit to achieve them. We noticed, the industry noticed that there was a problem with training of civilian, civilian trained pilots didn't notice some of the military school skills, military type training skills. Well, guess what? I was a civilian trained pilot that somehow met some people that trained me some of these military skills. And now we recognize a gap where there were civilian pilots that needed to learn this. You couldn't train in the military way because they didn't have that sort of, if you will, drill sergeant sort of mentality where you just do what I tell you. Civilians don't learn that way. But I had an ability to translate, so I got a job teaching these civilian pilots how to do that. I love today's interview. I admit to having favorite episodes, and this is one of them. But maybe not for the reasons you think. Today's guest is an engineer who loves to fly planes. He has a degree in aerospace engineering, but his true passion is being in the seat and holding the stick or holding the wheel. Scott Glazer is a -a one-of-a-kind individual. He wasn't able to go directly into military aviation, but never gave up on the idea of flying military jets. Years later, he's now certified to fly many different kinds of planes, including military aircraft. How did he manage to get to where he really wanted to be in the first place? You'll have to listen in to hear the whole story but I'll give you a hint. He learned to fail well. My guest today is Scott Glazer. Scott is an engineer and a pilot, and he has degrees in aerospace. Uh, I think he said both a master's and a bachelor's, and he's currently working on a PhD in biomedical engineering, which I find fascinating. Uh, He has flown over 80 types of aircraft, uh, including... Uh, being a flight test engineer for Spaceship Two uh, for the Virgin Galactic uh, drop of that aircraft. So, Scott, tell us a little more about this story. How did you go? F- well, I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things. How, how about let's just start back. Why did you go into aerospace engineering? Uh, we talked earlier, my passion has always been for aviation, and it started at a very early age, so early that I don't recall how it got started, other than uh, my father had an aircraft and uh, took me for rides when I was very young. So uh, I always endeavored to be a pilot and to be as close to uh, aviation as I could. And when it came time to go to college, the degrees that were available to me, the closest one to aviation was aerospace engineering. And I felt that in order to fly the aircraft, the best way to do the best job at that uh, was to understand how it worked and how airplanes operated, hence a degree in aerospace engineering. So when did you start flying these different 80 different types of aircraft that you've flown? Um, 
Well, if, as my dad tells a story, the first time he gave me the controls of his airplane, I was uh, six years old. So that was a uh, Ryan Navy on, and uh, I was sitting next to my dad, and you know he let me fly it. Um, most light, light airplanes have controls in both the left and the right seat, so he was able to uh, to make sure I was safe and uh, let me fly the airplane. So it started then, uh, and ever since then, uh, anytime I get the opportunity to fly, I take it, and that's true to this day. Typically, the offer doesn't have to finish the sentence. So, would you like to go? F- yes, yes, I'd like to do that now. And there are exceptionally rare circumstances where I would turn that down. So as you started your degree in aerospace engineering, about how many different planes had you flown by then? Uh, at that time, not many, a handful, maybe uh, six to 10, something like that, all, all little airplanes, uh, you know, Cessna type airplanes. So not a whole bunch at that time. And it's, it's just been a number that grows over the years as opportunities uh, present themselves. So were there any like big growth spurts or like high density times when you flew a bunch of different kinds of aircraft because of maybe a job you had or a particular opportunity that arose? Uh, yeah, one being uh, my current position as uh, Vice President of Operations for uh, Flight Research, Inc. My current job is, is my dream job. We have our 44 aircraft of 22 different types. Uh, and when I got here, obviously, uh, I had to learn to fly most of those airplanes and helicopters. So it was one of those things where my my background in flying different types applied very well. Typically when you're a younger pilot and you're starting out, it doesn't matter how new an airplane is, you get a very thorough checkout by an instructor uh, because you're new. Uh, when you get, as your experience grows and you get to a facility like this, it gets to the point where there's a new airplane to fly, There's uh, uh, you're a qualified pilot, uh, figure it out. And you have to go out and learn the airplane on your own, do the the study of the aircraft systems and performance, and then fly it on your own for the first time. And uh, it was a great thing, a great feeling of accomplishment whenever uh, you finally get to the point in life where you endeavored to be a long time ago. So are some of those aircraft where you currently work, are they unique or it's just that you have lots of different kinds of aircraft there? Uh, no, some of them are very unique. Some of them are one of a kind. Some of them are standard uh, kind of garden variety Cessnas and things like that that you're used to seeing. Uh, others are literally one-off airplanes. There's an airplane called a Norman Firecracker that was built as a prototype. It was never went into production for reasons of economy and things like that, not because it was a bad airplane. Uh, so it came to our facility because our facility is unique in the world. And we now operate it for a number of reasons, to train test pilots, to train commercial pilots and things along those lines. And we have, we have a number of aircraft like that that are unique to the world. So tell us a little bit about the company you're at and what, what you do there right now. So I'm the Vice President of Operations for Flight Research Inc. and the International Flight Test Institute. So what we do is we train test pilots on how to test new airplanes. So if uh, anybody's ever seen the old movie, The Right Stuff, or Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier, pilots that do those type of things, we train them how to do their job. In addition to that, we also have obviously test pilots on staff and flight test crew on staff. So if a company designs a new part for an airplane or a new airplane and wants to test that before they sell it or before they put passengers in it, they bring it to us and we test that vehicle and provide a report on it and, if need be, uh, put it through certification with the Federal Aviation Administration. So that sounds like a very interesting job. I have to admit I am a little jealous. I'm curious, though, how many people are there out there who have flown 
80 different types of aircraft. Like, I, I don't know if that sounds like it's a rare thing, but how rare is it? Well, it, uh, you know, all things are relative. I'm certainly not uh, alone by any means. There are several of us, especially in the flight test community, that have flown a lot of different types. And you can look at it as uh, types of types, if you will. It's a little confusing, but uh, most of the airplanes that I fly, the different types, uh, were smaller aircraft. So, you know, you go from uh, Cessnas to Beechcraft to Pipers, things like that. That said, I've flown, I'm type rated in uh, seven different types of heavy jets and ex-military jets and things like that. Uh, There are some other people that have flown 80 different types of military jets in their career and things like that and commercial jets and stuff. So... It is kind of rare, but it's not unheard of. So you mentioned some stuff in our pre-interview that I'd like to come back to. You talked about the idea of focusing on a goal and thinking about that and putting that in front of you on a regular basis. Like, What was the path in your life to that philosophy that I guess eventually led you to where you are now? Well, I was very fortunate because... My parents and the people that I grew up with as mentors always supported me in my passion. And they always supported me to never give up. No matter what the odds, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do this job. And why not you? It might be somebody else, but why not you? And the path certainly was not always clear. My goal as a lad uh, growing up was to be a military fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do. And I was pushing towards that with all of my might. And that was a very clear path when I was younger. If you want to be a fighter pilot, you can look it up on uh, Google and it'll tell you all the steps you have to do to do that, all the education you have to get, all this other stuff. Whenever I graduated college, I was poised to do that. And for for reasons unimportant to this interview, that didn't work out. So that was not enough, A, to deter me or B, to deter those people that were supporting me and said, well, just find another path and don't give up. So I did that. I went out and I looked into other ways to learn to fly uh, high-performance airplanes. And I started by buying this. I I saved my my nickels and dimes, and I bought this freaky little Russian airplane called a Yak-52, which is a Russian military trainer. Some people thought I was nuts, and they're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) I still have that airplane to this day. But the thing about that airplane in this particular story that I could never have predicted was the community that came along with it, the people. And everything about success is about people. It's about the people around you. My success has very little to do with me personally and most to do with the people that, that supported me and are my friends and mentors and family. So I got this freaky little airplane and I met these, these just wonderful people, all these ex-military aviators and some civilian aviators. And they just, like, like me, just loved the craft, loved the, uh, the concept of flying airplanes. So they would do this with anybody, not just me, brought us under their wing, both literally and figuratively, and trained us in military flying, which is much more disciplined than, uh, than civilian flying typically from a, from a performance standpoint, doing things like tactical formation, things along those lines. And I learned all this, these things in this great little airplane, met all these people, great friends, and applied myself. I didn't go on vacations because I didn't have the money. I had to put the money into my passion and to go flying airplanes. To this day, I still don't own a television because I fly airplanes. That's what I do. That's where my funds go. So kept pressing in that direction. And uh, it didn't look like there was no clear path to go past this little Russian single engine piston airplane. 
But then one day we were at an event and uh, I was flying and I was doing a good job. And there happened to be a gentleman there that I was talking to. Just met him. Nice guy. He said, what's your goal? What are you looking at? I'm like, well, I always wanted to fly military jets. And uh, that's that's where I'm pushing to. I don't know how I'm going to get there. He says, well, I have one of those. Would you like to fly it? And uh, (laughs) next thing I know, I'm getting trained in this former military trainer called a T-33, which was used to train all of our military pilots back in the 50s era. And next thing I know, I'm I'm learning to fly this airplane. And from there, I got to fly other jets. At the same time, while I'm doing this, I'm also applying myself as, as an engineer. So I'm learning everything I can and applying that in the aviation field and the industry. So making more friends and more contacts on that side. And learning how these airplanes work so that I can work on my own airplane so that I can apply these basic concepts in a more succinct fashion. All of these things eventually work together. And I uh, got to the point where I was working another side job on upset recognition recovery training. So we noticed, the industry noticed that there was a problem with civilian trained pilots didn't know some of the military school skills, military type training skills. Well, guess what? I was a civilian trained pilot that somehow met some people that trained me some of these military skills. And now we recognize a gap where there were civilian pilots that needed to learn this. You couldn't train in the military way because they didn't have that sort of, if you will, drill sergeant sort of mentality where you just do what I tell you. Civilians don't learn that way. But I had an ability to translate. So I got a job teaching these civilian pilots how to do that while doing all this other stuff. And then went on to fly with uh, Virgin Galactic because all this other stuff came together. So I was a flight crew on Virgin Galactic, working with Spaceship Two and things like that. And finally what happened was at Mojave up here and uh, I'm working as an engineer on Virgin Galactic, which was very, very cool. But I'm still an engineer and my passion was to fly. So I remember when I was a youngster, somebody asked me, so would you rather fly in the back of the space shuttle or as a engineer or the front of a Cessna as a pilot. And I said when I think I was about 12 years old, I said I'd rather be in the front of a Cessna as a pilot. Well, it's funny how time and life makes you put your money where your mouth is because I was working for Virgin Galactic as an engineer and I was slated to be on one of those space flights. And I got this opportunity, which I, which I took here now, and I've been here for a couple of years, to go in and professionally fly fast jets. Many of our jets are military jets. Vice President of Operations for a place where we're building stuff and doing stuff and be a pilot. And I finally came to this front door. They offered me the job. And after all those years of just going, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to keep pushing in that direction. I finally got here and I'm sitting here talking to you as a professional pilot. I fly um, all sorts of jets and everything under the sun, including Like I said, I wanted to fly military-type aircraft. That's one of the things I do. I did six sorties last week. So the biggest thing is just keep pressing, keep pressing, and keep pressing. And the other thing, too, is is, uh, that I think is missing from a lot of the youngsters I talk to today is in order to succeed, you have to fail a lot. Nobody gets to be successful without failing a lot. The idea is, is that you fail, you learn from your mistakes, and you continue to press. And I think a lot of what we miss today is that people fail and they go, well, I can't do that. It's like, no, that's absolutely not true. You just have to keep pressing. And you might not know how you're going to get there, but you'll get there. Wow. I couldn't have paid you to say uh, more intense, valuable things. Uh, We talk quite a bit in our summer camps about the idea of failing because we work with product development and engineering development on a small scale with teenagers. And that's one of those things that 
we don't hear as much and we need to hear it from the field. We need to hear people saying, hey, you need to learn how to fail. You need to learn how to navigate that path. So how did you come to that realization? Was that an early realization, a late realization? Well, you know, early on, I, I would say it's a later realization in the fact that I came up with that concept. But in practice, I did it constantly, uh, again, through the support of family and friends. It's just the concept of dust yourself off. You know, this is what I want to do. I want to fly jets. That's, that's what I want to do. Well, this it didn't work out this time. I, I screwed up that test or that thing didn't work out. And people say, all right, well, so what? What did you screw up? Fix it next time. Keep going. I mean, that's that's just how you got to do it. And when you're younger, and I think what you're doing is great with uh, with your program, you, you don't understand that. And it is, it is very discouraging when you go out the first time and you spend all this time and effort expecting to be successful and you're not. But what are your alternatives? Give up? Well, then you definitely won't get what you want. Just keep trucking. I mean, the alternative is to not try, then you'll definitely fail, or keep trying, and you might still be successful. And if you keep trying, you probably will be. You know, even when it comes to astronauts, uh, I'm fortunate I get to work with a couple of folks that have flown the space shuttle and been to the to the space station. And you know, most of the astronauts, when they applied, of course, my one buddy, he he got it on his first shot, but that's very rare. Most of them have applied two, three. There's a couple that applied six times before they got accepted. You just got to keep pressing, got to keep pressing, and that's the key. So I want to actually rewind the clock quite a bit because that's one of the parts of the story that we're always interested in. Is it okay if we go all the way back maybe to grade school, middle school, high school, and let us into your thinking and your experiences that led you to that ability to dust yourself off? Put it this way. I, I always like to say that I had several opportunities to make the wrong choices, and uh, aviation kept me from doing so. It was something positive to focus on. And I also like to make a joke that aviation is an addiction in the truest form because I've made the decisions like, well, I, I don't need extra food. I, I need fuel to go fly airplanes. <laughs> um, bit of an exaggeration, but not so much. So when I was in grade school, that's what I focused on. When times were tough for, for whatever reason, you know, I'd always draw pictures of airplanes. And uh, when I was that age, I watched Top Gun religiously. I, it's not the most accurate movie. I get a little annoyed at it now. But, you know, at that time, it was it was the stuff. And again, that was my focus um, to the point where, where kids made fun of me. And that was okay, though, because it was my passion and it's where I went. I had multiple books of my father's that I would dig into and read uh, about airplanes and about the, the heroes in history. And uh, it was just this, this great, great thing, that this gift that I was given in my life. I, I don't know quite what else to say about it. It was kind of a given. Uh, and that's one of the things where I feel I've been fortunate that I had that passion. And that's something that some other folks said that they don't know what their passion is. I don't know how to help with that. Sometimes I think it's a little bit of reticence to jump into something. When you, do, or when you are passionate about something, you are open to ridicule, and that's tough as a kid. Uh, but if it's what you love, it's what you love, and that's, uh, that's how you get where you're going. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it quite like that, but I like how you, you, you connected those two ideas of the reticence to try and the kind of the lack of a deep passion for something. You are obviously connected with lots of people who have a passion like this. Maybe make a comment about that. On the, Of the people that you know, how many of them have that reticence to try? 
a lot. It's one of the great things about aviation. Again, as I said, is community. Everybody in this community is uh, is passionate about flying airplanes. You kind of have to be. <laughs> flying is one of those things that, if you're complacent with it, is unforgiving and somewhat self-correcting. <laughs> um, so, so there is some artificiality there. But uh, you know, I, I see people that say, you know, pick something. I love, I love music. I love playing music. Well, great. Why don't you do that for a living? Well, you can't make money at it. Like, well, a lot of people make a lot of money at it. And they're like, yeah, well, that's that's rare. Yeah, but again, somebody's got to do it. Now, the people that do do it, that make a lot of money at it, they work really hard. I mean, if you look at what a rock star does and what their schedule is and, and how hard they work, you know, they make a lot of money and they party really hard, but they're going all the time. And then if you look at what those people, the people that try to do that and that are unsuccessful, but the ones that really do apply themselves, they may not end up on stage. But they end up doing things, you know, around the stage or in the business or stuff like that. And they still make enough money to make a living and be successful. Not the easiest, but it, they still do it. You know, there's, there's executives, there's, there's setup people, there's technicians, there's thousands and thousands of people that have to keep that industry going. And in that case, uh, living near Hollywood, I know some of those people, they still get to work around their passion and do something that they're interested in. And then they play music, you know, in bars and stuff, uh, uh, on the evenings and on the weekends and they still get to do what they love. So it's still, in my mind, that's still successful. They still enjoy what they do for a living and they do what they're passionate about and they're not stuck, you know, doing something that they hate going to work every day. So again, the idea is just find what you're passionate about. It's tough to have the courage to take the step, especially if you don't have people backing you. That's the hardest part. You know, if you have folks, folks around you that are going, Oh, that's dumb. Nobody makes money at that. It's like, well, okay. I had plenty of people telling me, you know, once I got the military thing didn't work out that, oh, well, you know, so much for that. It's like, well, I'm going to figure out another way. Well, what way? I don't know, but uh, I'm going to figure it out. It's like, well, there is no, I mean, you can't fly military jets if you're not in the military. It's like, well, watch me. And that's, (laughs) and and the reason I was able to say that is because I had other people behind me that, that supported me. So, so you said something interesting uh, earlier in the interview and I'd like to wrap that in with one of our, our questions we normally ask. You mentioned that you, you don't have a TV. And, I mean, we're in the digital age. I mean, there's there's Google and Wikipedia and YouTube. So in that environment, you have a unique perspective here. What does it mean to be educated? What does that term actually mean? Well, I think educated means not only having knowledge but the ability to apply it so you can get on uh, as we all know you can get on the internet and I do have a computer I don't have a TV but I have several computers you can find almost any information uh, that you can think of on the internet but just because you can get information doesn't mean you can use it properly and we know that you know how many spam emails have we gotten saying you know the super moon is going to be as big as whatever and all this kind of stuff and it's it's just not true but people believe it uh, because they don't know how to interpret information and how to use it and that's that's education education is being able to apply what you learn to do something uh, to do so, to have some positive outcome I love that we uh, we hear that answer quite a bit and we're actually building some deeper thinking about this I think what on our side because the ability to apply is something that has actually been called out to me very recently by some of our uh, recent interviewers. So let me ask you a question because you probably have people coming to you on a regular basis looking for a job or looking uh, to be a part of your organization. How many of those 
I hate to hate to call them kids, but probably many of them are coming to you, ha- come with the ability to p- apply their knowledge. And do you take them seriously if they don't? Well, I think that that's hard to say, you know, how many, it, it depends on their background and where they're coming from. And, and you know, the question is, uh, do I take them seriously? You know, I, I try to take everybody's request seriously. My, my belief is, is that everybody with the exception of folks that have some illness of some sort, everybody starts out on the same page. We all have the same relative brain power and the same relative capabilities. And I think in a lot of cases, people that don't know how to apply data, uh, don't know how to apply knowledge, it's not necessarily because they're dumb or anything like that. It's just because they haven't been taught. My experience with people is, is in general, humans want to solve problems. They want to learn how to solve problems. The problem is, is that we all kind of want to solve problems quickly. We read something that may or may not be true. It brings us to a conclusion. And unless we're critical of that conclusion, uh, you know, we're jumping up and down. It's like, oh, look at this. It's really interesting. So I, I think it's kind of inherent. And all people want that, want that ability to some level. Now, how well somebody is able to do that, I find, is somewhat independent of their credential. I believe very strongly in a person's performance uh, versus their their history. Uh, I've met a lot of people with alphabet soup behind their names, you know, be it MD, PhD, whatever, that really can't think critically. And they think because they have a title that they somehow have now some inherent knowledge or some ability to interpret knowledge, which isn't the case. And I've also met many, many people who have no degree and very little experience that are able to do just phenomenal things. And those are the type of people that that I like to hire uh, and support to get those degrees and get that experience. I uh, just remember one of, one of the things that I like to try and pass on to folks that are that are going to school is school is not about getting the credential. It's about picking up an ability. Uh, and mainly in, across the board, especially if you're going to college, uh, you certainly want to focus on what you're interested in, but the biggest thing about going to college is learning how to think critically and learning how to learn. That's the, the number one thing you can take out of school because I know people with engineering degrees that are in business, business degrees. There's a little bit of skill in engineering. That's hard to make that transition, but it's happened. So that that's the biggest thing is applying yourself again, learning how to use that knowledge, and always being open no matter where you are in your career to criticism and improvement. Wow, that's very powerful. Again, I we're on the, exactly the same page on that. So as we wrap up the interview, we always like to ask uh, one final question. That is, what is the purpose of an education? You have a unique perspective here, having come across many experiences and landed where you really want to be. So in your experience, what is the purpose of an education? Well, it's just that it's, it's again, learning how to learn, learning how to apply yourself for the betterment of not only yourself, but of our society. And that's how the world works, is that we all contribute a very small amount so that the whole of society gets better. I'm thankful I found something that uh, that I'm passionate about, that I enjoy, that also has a, a benefit to uh, to everyone else, or so I like to think. And the key to education, is, as I touched on earlier, is, again, learning how to learn. If you are successful in whatever you do, you're always learning. You're always updating, especially in the technological age. If you think that you can go to school and learn how to do something and stop learning and just do that for the rest of your days, you're sorely mistaken. There are very few career fields where that's the case and even fewer where you can count on that. 
So you're always learning and you should always be critical of yourself, how you're doing just because you've been successful in the past doesn't mean you're going to continue to be unless you always keep yourself in check. A prime example of that is flying airplanes and fighter pilots. Now, I'm not a fighter pilot, but I have several friends that are, and we do some fighter pilot type events with some of our airplanes. And whenever you're in debriefing from a flight of, of dogfighting, so you know when fighter when fighter aircraft go out and fight each other and they practice, you you go in a debrief. So you go out, you shoot at each other, you perform, you make mistakes, you come back and you talk about it. And that's where they say all the learning happens in the debrief. And in the debrief, there's no rank. So you can have a general and a lieutenant in that debrief, and the door is closed, and they are critical of each other to a painful level. And the lieutenant, who might be you know, 24, 25 years old, versus the general who's been doing this for 30 years and maybe in his 50s, the lieutenant can look at him and go, you know what, general, that was stupid. Why did you do that? And the general will go, yeah, you know what? I screwed that up. I made that mistake 30 years ago, and I just, just got lazy and did it again. And that's the sign of someone who is educated, someone who wants to continue to improve their craft, and someone who is also a good leader. And that's what education brings you. The idea that you can learn, you can continue to learn, you can continue to improve, and you can continue to contribute. And to me, that's the purpose of an education. That's powerful, Scott. Thank you so much. And I think we're going to wrap it right there. We couldn't end it with a neater bow. So if listeners from our audience are interested in learning more about you and the company that you work with, uh, what was the best way for them to do that? Uh, They can look at our website, www.flightresearch.com. We've got some interesting stuff there on some of the uh, flight test work we do and on some of our upset training programs, new effort where we're training commercial pilots. You can also look us up on Facebook. Of course, as we said, it is the digital era. And follow us on uh, Facebook. And if anybody would like to ask me any questions uh, specifically, feel feel free to uh, either call our offices here at uh, 661-824-4136 and ask for me or uh, shoot me an email at sglazer, G-L-A-S-E-R, at flightresearch.com, and I'll be happy to uh, answer any questions. Thank you so much, Scott, for speaking clearly to our audience about some very important topics. My pleasure, Steve. I love Scott's story. I especially enjoyed the part where he said that it is important to fail a lot. You don't hear that very often trumpeted from the front of the room. But every innovator knows how important it is to be resilient. Scott specifically mentioned learning to dust yourself off. I've been interviewing many professionals and innovators for our podcasts, and they are all giving this message. Learn to fail well. Learning how to succeed is what we normally hear about. But learning to fail well is a much harder yet infinitely more valuable skill to the innovator. I have heard it said, if you aren't prepared to fail, you aren't prepared to innovate. If you want your teenager to learn how to fail well, go to ttinvent.com and find out how you can get them involved in our programs. Failing well is in our DNA, and success is the natural outcome.